Hi, and welcome to Alchemy of Genres. This is Selena from the South Brunswick Public Library again. This time, in honor of Pride Month, we are going to be talking about LGBT titles, LGBTQ titles, that affected me in some way that or that I thought were important because they highlighted something different or interesting or that I'm just obsessed with for some reason. Um, because I read a lot of teen stuff and there are a lot of coming out tales in the teen genres for obvious reasons, I'm not necessarily going just for an all-encompassing list or, and I was trying to avoid just a standard I'm coming out list because that's nice, but I wanted something that really spoke to me. And there's a lot of teen titles with LGBTQ subject matter, and there are also, I'm sure, a good number of adult titles, but honestly, what I'm reading in adult is mostly sci-fi, fantasy, horror. Um, and for the teens, I'm reading kind of all over the place because I have to. So there's a definite difference. So you'll see when I'm talking, the beginning of this list is going to be the teen stuff. The end of the list is going to be the adult stuff. The teen stuff isn't childish. It's just marketed towards teens. The adult stuff isn't dirty. It's just marketed towards adults. There might be some sexual content. There might not be. So feel free to read from any list you like, depending on your age and your comfort levels. I'm actually going to start with two graphic novels. Um, well, three, I guess, technically, but I'm just mentioning the one really quickly. That are not marketed to teens. They're marketed to the adult audience, but there's nothing in them that is objectionable. So I just thought it was a good way to start. And I don't like to be tied down, thus the title of the podcast. So My Brother's Husband by Gengora Tagame. And if I'm saying that badly, and I'm sure I am, my apologies, is centers a, a with the family of Yaichi and Kana. Yaichi is a divorced husband raising his daughter at home in Japan. He has a business that he attends to, but he's mostly a stay-at-home dad. His identical twin brother passes away. He lives in Canada. And for whatever reason, you discover it as you read, his, his brother's husband, thus the name of the series, or the, it's a two-volume set, his brother's husband decides that he wants to visit and get to know his brother's family. It's really uncomfortable for Yaichi to meet Mike. He has a lot of preconceptions and uncomfortableness around his brother being gay. It comes across that he didn't love his brother any less, but that just he didn't understand his brother. And the sadness of the whole story really gets to you because it just is all the would-haves and should-haves. Like, if he would have tried a little more or been pushed a little more, or if his brother had been a little more pushy in demanding the, that attention 
that maybe they could have been closer, but they haven't been close. And it's sad. And the first scene is so hard because Mike sees Yaichi and their identical twin brothers. So he just immediately falls apart because all he can see is his husband. And he knows it's not his husband, but it's still hard. And I, your heart breaks for him. One of the th reasons I'm mentioning this is because there are a lot of stereotypes in many countries on what it means to be a homosexual, what it means to be a heterosexual, what the definitions of proper roles for male and female are, how to raise a child, how not to raise a child, and this book sort of touches on all of them because Kana gets some pushback from the school about the negative influence of the, that person in her home and all of the things that Yaichi took for granted as the norm, he starts thinking, what if? What if this? And what if that? And how can I make sure that my daughter and the next generation don't have the hang-ups that I had? And how can I fix my own hang-ups and be a better person? And you really start to see them truly become a family. And the whole book takes, the whole the set takes over like roughly three weeks or four weeks in time. It's really touching. I just thought it was a great look without being kick you over the head with this didactic thing of, look, we're all people, because we know that. And I just thought this was a great book. And it, it touched me and made me cry a little bit. But it was a really good book. Um, in the Sandman series, he has two standalone books that stand together or apart. and But are using characters from the Sandman series. Um, the author is Neil Gaiman, if you don't know. So they're featuring the character of Death which a lot of people are like, oh my god. But death is portrayed in the Sandman universe as this quirky, very cool chick who just is very chill and likes everybody and is nice to everybody and cares. And so she got her own little storyline. So the first one is called The High Cost of Living, which... I'm only mentioning really quickly because the one that I'm going to talk about, The Time of Your Life, is the second one. You meet the characters in The Time of Your Life in The High Cost of Living, but if you don't read them in that order, you won't even notice necessarily. So in The High Cost of Living, you have the one of the responsibilities of death is every so often to live and die herself. So she takes on the life and actually in, in it enters the body, I'm not sure, of a person who is going to die at the end of that day so that she can experience what it's like to die and maintain a sense of dignity and understanding and empathy for the process. And 
this she's entered the body of a person runs into this kid who's been flirting with the idea of suicide not because he's depressed but because he's just bored and what is the point and he just has epic ennui and and thinks that they're the universe is just so stupid but as he's spending the day with death in her incarnation in this he starts to re-examine all of the things that life can be and that boredom is not a good reason for a lot of things and it's definitely not a good reason to die um but it also examines just what is life and why do people cling to it why do people leave it what does it mean to be alive and the second book is called the time of your life you have this couple they are lesbians and one of them is in this very hot rock band she is in the closet because the agencies and management companies and all of them are telling her that if she wants this career she has to toe the line and look like every other girl and act like she's looking for a guy and not to talk about her other half that she has and her other half her girlfriend that they that it loves her very much is at home but desperately lonely and missing her girlfriend and not able to really talk to anybody about it because it's a secret that she's even dating her so it makes the whole relationship feel ugly and torrid and not good and it's not good for her peace of mind and so at a certain point and I don't want to ruin anything she gets lured into the realm of death and encounters death she's not necessarily dying but there is a reason that she's talking to death and they explore what love means and whether love is important is it more important to live your life the way you want to live it every day or to maintain an illusion for the sake of the people around you I think is basically what it comes down to and and it but it's a really beautiful love story that Neil Gaiman wrote in a really beautiful way there's moments of suspense there's moments of beauty there's moments of ugliness and it, and I it always touched me and I thought it was a good book to mention so there you go we've mentioned it um moving on we're doing the teen stuff so James Howe has a misfit series and he kind of highlights each of the five people in it one of them is Joe who is gay and his book is totally Joe and one of the reasons I really love this book and in fact you see Joe in all of the books in the series because they're friends in middle school he is a gay 12 year old but he's okay with being himself and he's not conflicted about his sexuality it's just part of who he is He's trying to figure himself out because he's only 12 or maybe 13 but he's doing the middle school journey of trying to figure out who he is and what he wants to do with his life but he's not 
depressed and he's not sad and he's not angsty. He's just trying to figure out life and try on hats and, and look at what he wants to do and who he wants to be. But at no point is he stressed about his sexuality because that's not even a thing. That's just that's that's just like having brown eyes or green eyes or brown hair or black hair. It's just part of who he is. What he's looking at is who are my friends and how can I make my life better and who do I want to be when I grow up and and the important questions of life. And I really loved that this character was written in just such a happy impressive way still reads like a 12 year old it's not like a somebody trying to pretend to be 12 or 13 but truly just a happy character and I found this really good quote that was great from the book so I'm gonna share it and so he says I hated that the soldier doll had my name please I didn't play with him much he was another Christmas present from my clueless grandparents one time when they were visiting, my grandpa asked me if G.I. Joe had been in any wars lately. And I said, no, but he and Ken got married last week. Every Christmas since then, my grandparents have sent me a check. And I just loved how matter of fact he was about this. He didn't tell his grandparents, hey, I don't like your present. But he also made clear that he wasn't trying to fill any stereotypes he was just living his life and looking at things in his own lens and so that's why I really love this book and it's great it's also one of the few that tackles middle school it seems to be a trend that everyone assumes that you don't know what you are attracted to until you're older which is true for some people and it changes for some people as they get to know themselves better but there are people who just no, you know, it, nobody looks strangely at you if you're three and you have a crush on the little boy next door and you're a cute little girl. But if you're that same cute little girl and you have a crush on the little girl next door, people look at you a little strange. Or same if you're a little boy and you have a crush on the little boy next door. They poo-poo it or they're like, oh, you're just good friends. And they never, they never accept that that just could be who you are. I like to think that this is changing and I hope that this is changing. I see more of my middle school students getting more comfortable with themselves and that just makes me so happy. So I hope that the trend continues. Another teen book written by, that is just one of my favorites because it's just so quirky and interesting and it's written by a quirky and interesting author. James St. James is a personality of his own. He is this really interesting guy. He, he has YouTube videos, he's done drag, he's done all kinds of things. He's written books but this is the only teen book he's written that I'm aware of and it's called Freak Show. It stars Billy Bloom who has just moved from New York where all the things happen to Florida, where nothing happens. And he is not happy about it because he had, you know, he, his comfort levels, he had his friends, he had a life in New York, and now he's in Florida surrounded by cheerleaders and football players and people who aren't comfortable with 
anything outside of a box. But he's decided that he is going to try and walk the line between standing out and fitting in. But he's not going to walk it on the line of compromising himself for in any way. He just wants to be himself and he wants to be able to wear a quirky outfit today and a dress tomorrow. He wants to run for prom queen if he feels like it or not. He wants to be able to date who he wants without repercussions. And he keeps pushing for this to happen in spite of the pushback from some of the teachers and students and administrators. And I like this book because it's really hopeful. You have moments of, of issues and, and anxiety, but St. James really pushes this in a way that he does have support and he's comfortable and he's confident in himself to pursue what he wants without feeling that he has to pretend to be someone else and so again I'm going to share a quote because I just I love this book so much so my quote which spoke to me and is probably one of the reasons why I, I love this we are all freaks yes alone in our rooms at night we are all weirdos and outcasts and losers that's what being a teenager is all about whether you admit it or not, you are all worried that others won't accept you, that if you or that if they knew the real you, they would recoil in horror. Each of us comes with a secret shame that we think is somehow unique. And if we are each of us freaks, then can't we accept what differences in each other accept those differences in each other and move on. And I love that concept and it echoed with me because we all get inside of our heads and think that each of us is different and unique. And we are, but we also sometimes isolate ourselves because we think no one would ever understand. And there's always someone out there that can listen and can maybe not have exactly the same experience, but they can have a similar experience or that it can at least have some empathy. And I think that's what this is all about is just having some empathy and saying, I don't have to judge you for being different if you don't judge me for being different because we're all different. Let's get rid of all the boxes. And I love that idea. So Winger is a book by Andrew Smith. He's an author I adore. Excuse me. I adore. And um, it's not directly, it like the main character is not gay, but his best friend is. And so Ryan is an accelerated, really, really smart kid. He's 14. He's a junior in high school at this uh, boarding school exclusive place. He's in love with Annie, but she's also a junior, but she's not an accelerated thing. So to her, she's a, he's a kid. He's 14 and she's 17 or 18, which is a big, big gap at that point in your life. So he's struggling with how to talk to her about how he feels. And he's also the winger on the rugby team. And he's 
really passionate about his sports, but he's gotten into trouble and now he's living in the house where they put all the troublemakers. And his best friend is also in the house. And he's gay, but he doesn't care. He doesn't talk about it all the time, but he doesn't... He's not hiding it necessarily. And so the story is mostly about Ryan, but his best friend and his uh, takes a big part of the story. And the things that happen in this story resonate. And I don't want to give away the ending, but there are parts of it that resonate that make a huge difference and this story was just I think what hit me and what made me love it was a because you're getting into sports and being a skinny short guy who's not the epitome of the athlete but yet he is an athlete and he's good at what he does and he's not afraid to be friends with an out gay guy who's also an athlete but built and taller and more muscular. And the team isn't afraid. They, they kind of know, but they're not acknowledging that they know. And there are bad things and prejudices. But the, the two of them have each other's backs. And I just found that a great motivator or I just I just love that story part between this background player and the main character and um so that's why that's on the list because I just thought it should be um Grasshopper Jungle also by Andrew Smith I mentioned in my monster stories or sci-fi stories one of those um it's basically uh for some reason, sort of vaguely scientifically related, people start morphing into giant grasshoppers and then eating other people or just destroying the planet. So the main character is just trying to, you know, get away and find a safe haven. But he's also attracted to guys and girls. So it's made pretty obvious pretty quickly that he's bisexual. But he's also kind of polyamorous because by the end of it, he's like, well, I can be with both of them. I don't have to choose. And there's no shame in this. And I, maybe it's because it's an apocalyptic story where everybody's being eaten by giant grasshoppers. But it was one of the very few stories where you had a bisexual character that wasn't feeling obliged to quote unquote pick a side. He was, and, and the fact that he wasn't monogamous, which is also a tendency that people push, was really nice. Because people forget when you have the LGBTQ spectrum that there's also a monogamous, non-monogamous spectrum. And that being polyamorous doesn't make you less of a person. And, and there are many in the LGBTQ, but also many in the heterosexual realms who are polyamorous and so they don't directly say hi he's polyamorous but they they don't the author smith did not feel the need to make him choose and and be one or the other he could be both which in effect made him polyamorous because it's an an, an relationship between the three of them where each of them knows about the other and everybody's okay with it which i thought was 
a really interesting thing to just have happening in the background with all these monsters and, and running and and all of the other things that are going on and a rather humorous alien takeover story but it still was a, a great thing so that's why that's on there um a graphic novel that i forgot was on this part of the list because i didn't pay attention um but it's definitely for younger kids the lumberjanes the first book in the series is beware the kitten holy it's by noel stevenson is a really fun book i love it so hey feel free to read it if you're not a teenager but uh it's got two of the main characters they're five friends who live in a camp it's a non-traditional camp and there's also monsters to fight and they're all girls but the two of them end up being more than friends and none of the friends think about it there is one actual storyline that comes later in the series where the parents do a visiting day and the the lesbian feels the need to not talk to her parents about her relationship because she's terrified that they'll make her go home but tied into that is also the parts where the one of the other girls is terrified that her parents will make her go home because she's a sort she's associating with people beneath her class station so uh, or just monsters which they secretly fight and no one talks about but everybody knows so you i like that stevens has lots of levels but i love that the two girls like each other and that's just a thing they hold hands and you see them kiss occasionally it's not like an overt thing it's just a thing they like each other and it's not any more of a of a of a, a deal breaker and actually later in the series you have a little boy from the boys camp that they have interacted with who decides that he really would rather be a girl and so can he come to the camp and be with them even if he doesn't tell his parents that he wants to be a girl yet and they accept him and they just let him come over and he doesn't have to dress different but he can if he wants he's just a girl at the girls camp whatever way he wants to be and so again it's the it they're not main the, he's not a main character but he's there and it's and it's visibility and it's also various um, races of people that are represented. Represented, good. I can't, Lord, I can't talk. So again, it's. I love this so much because it's fun and it's quirky, but it also just has a visibility element of seeing different people without it being, hey, look, here I'm making a statement. It just is. So next book, and I'm noticing the time and I'm kind of going long and I'm sorry if I'm wandering on this one. This topic is important to me and so I might get a little emotional. Apologies. I definitely know I'm talking on and on. So again, apologies. So Will Grayson, Will Grayson is by David Levithan and John Green. John Green is a well-lauded author. So is David Levithan. I love this book because it brings together the best elements of both of them because they alternate chapters. 
it's called Will Grayson, Will Grayson, because there are two Will Graysons. One of them is a straight guy with a gay best friend. One of them is a gay guy from another town. And they meet because the the gay the one kid arranges a meetup with the other one not knowing that they have the same name and the wrong one interacts at the wrong time and it becomes like a whole thing and once they all meet and they realize oh that's funny your name is Will Grayson also it forces this interactivity and it gets them meeting each other and they're talking to each other and they affect each other's lives and it was just so wonderfully told and so intricately twined together and really emotional and I just love the story it's one of my favorites so um so there you go a book that they made a movie into called Love, Simon, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by um, Ab- Abertali. Yeah. You have Simon, the in the title Simon. He is blackmailed because he's been emailing a crush who's called Blue. He doesn't know who he really is, but he's been emailing him online they just chat with each other and it's obviously flirting and they really like each other and Simon is not out and Blue is not out and no one knows who the other is but someone finds the emails and starts blackmailing him to do things that they want him to do so it's affecting him because Simon has to decide does he come out to his friends what does that involve should he keep going with things but the blackmail involves introducing this person to one of his friends as a potential partner date and so he's conflicted about that as well because what kind of a person does that and he's all the while trying to figure out who in his school is blue who is this how how do we get here how do I find you and he's trying to lay down clues and figure out who it is there are a variety of different um ethnicities in the story there's a lot of different traditional high school things going on I just thought it was a fun story it was one that spoke to me really a lot when I first read it I haven't watched the movie yet but because I've seen it advertised I decided to put it here because I think it would be something good you could get the family to sit and watch it and then maybe read the book there are other books that follow this involving secondary characters that you could read and I've heard that they are good I have not read them yet I probably should they might steal my librarian teen librarian card and take it from me for not having read them but there you have it Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe by Benjamin Alire Saez. I am terribly bad. I, I do know Spanish, but good lord. Science. Science? Something like that. My apologies. So, so many apologies. Anyway, this one I like because it's representative of Latin culture and also because it shows 
these two characters growing into something. It's not just this slap together moment or all about like a, a like let's secretly kiss and then that's over and I have to be ashamed of it forever. Aristotle has issues because his uh, brother is in prison and he's been sort of labeled as this part of a bad family. Obviously, if your brother's in prison, then everyone in your family is terrible and criminal and whatever. And uh, Dante is sort of a know-it-all and super smart. And so, of course, nobody thinks they should be even near each other. And they meet at the pool, they start to chat, and you just see this relationship grow and move. And there's heartbreaking moments and there's amazingly soft moments. But I think I fell in love with it because it just felt so real. You genuinely get to know these characters and you see them growing individually and also together. So, and that's always nice to see. The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee is a little more on the funny side. It's set in the 1800s. You have Monty. Um, his real name is Henry, but he everyone calls him Monty uh, because his last name is Montague. He is a gentleman and his father has prestige and a position and a house and he's in the House of Lords and all of those things. His father disapproves of him completely and utterly and has been trying to mold him his entire life to be this proper gentleman. He is not a nice father. Not at all. Monty has decided because his father is so horrible that he just doesn't want to be anything like his dad. So he sort of takes it too far and he just goes too far in his rebellion and is need to be you can't do anything for me I'm going to party because tomorrow I may die kind of mentality but his dad has put his foot down and says no you need to buck up come in and start taking up the mantle of lord we'll find you a nice lady to marry and you're going to do your duties for king and country kind of thing or queen and country um his best friend Percy is with the a nearby house and they've been best friends forever it's sort of in a unique situation because percy is an illegitimate member of the house and the family acknowledges him but is always not sure what to do with him because his father conceived him while he was in jamaica or one of the islands they mention it i forget what island but it he's part I um African American and maybe some other things mixed in there because he was his mother was one of the island people uh, that was there and when he when his mother died he was sh- he was shipped to his dad's home and his dad didn't even think and and which is really impressive for the time period but he accepted him as his son and said fine and then when his father passes away his parents take him in and continue keeping him as part of the family. But nobody's really sure what to do with him because a man of quality who's of color but also illegitimate, it's like a whole thing because this is still the 1800s. So 
Monty decides that he and Percy and his sister Felicity, because she talks her way into the journey, are going to go on the grand tour, which will be his last hurrah before he has to get to a life of boringness and terribleness. And he does one thing. It's like one of those little things that don't seem to be a big deal, but later is a huge big deal. And I can't say what it is because it might ruin everything, but it's a, it's a thing that happens. And now everyone is chasing them and after them. And there are, there's like, now they have turned into a secret spy organization where they now have no access to their chaperone. They have no access to their money or to the things that they've been taking for granted. But they also are obliged to do certain things to, to make up for their mistake. And in the course of this journey, that is not the, the epic journey they were expecting, but epic in a different way, Percy and Monty start talking to each other and realize that they really do care about each other. And But they're really not sure if they can survive like who's who's gonna do what and how are we gonna make it and Felicity is struggling with wanting to be a doctor but she's a lady of quality and that's an unheard of thing and why would you want to do that you're a girl girls don't do doctoring things so there's she gets her own book the sequel to this uh but it was just a fun, good-natured thing that quickly turns serious as you see them tackling real issues of the time. But at the same time, Monty is not afraid to admit that he cares for Percy and he's not ashamed for long. Like, he's been conditioned to be ashamed because it's deemed unnatural. It's the 1800s. But the author structures things in a way that you can see her letting the characters know that no it's okay you're you're just human and and also having a mixed race relationship on top of that just made for an interesting and different twist with a lot of humor but still a, a fun romp of a story but with some serious things happening in the undercurrents empress of the world by sarah ryan is when uh, two girls at a summer camp for high school, but away at a college, so it's like an away camp. They just fall for each other. And it, I've, I'm not going to go on and on because we're already almost at 40 minutes and I haven't even got to the adult stuff. But it was a beautiful story. I liked that Sarah Ryan tackled the subject matter in a way that made it a lovely love story without a lot of angst and anxiety. It just was. Almost Perfect by Brian Catcher is one that I wanted to bring up because this one has Logan, who is a totally normal dude, and he breaks up with his girlfriend, and then this new girl moves to town, Sage, and he really likes her, and he wants to date her, but she's not allowed to date, and he doesn't understand. And as things go, you find out that Sage is actually transgender. She just moved to town because that was the way to hide that she was ever born a boy. And Logan, the whole story is from Logan's point of view, which is my, 
it's an interesting way to approach it and catcher does a really good job on this one in that you see logan's struggle i really like her but you lied to me but did you really does it matter can i still like you and so catcher caught some flack and i can understand that with the back and forth of the main character and some of the anger and the way he deals with it isn't always the best way but what I found good about the story is that when Logan does or reacts to things in a way that's not appropriate he does take ownership of that and he goes back and he says that wasn't the way to handle this and you're left with a relationship that is struggling but it's still growth and it's ways of looking at being in love and do I really care what you how you were born and what people think of me if I really care about you and what does does that change who I am and and so there's a lot of angst in it it's a teen book but it's still I thought it was handled really well given that it was from the point of view of the non-trans person coming from his own very structured very not open life and having to open it up to learn about a lot of things and it it was just a really good journey for the character and that relationship building um another one that dealt with transgender is julianne peters with luna this one is told from the point of view of the sister and i believe sometimes the brother it's all about their little uh, sister who is transgender, who is secretly, she's born their brother and it really just wants to be the girl she feels she was meant to be. And the sister is really accepting and the brother is really not. And it's this family journey of love and acceptance with Luna, which is the name she gives herself. And it's just really well done. Um, last one that I'm going to bring up is a secret love of mine. Well, it's not so secret, but it's just one that doesn't get enough play or enough press. Not enough people talk about this in teen lit. And it's called Debbie Harry Sings in French by Megan Brothers. Or Megan Brothers, I'm not really sure. But you have Johnny and Maria. Johnny is like a punk guy and he's Mr. You know, Uber music and music is everything to him. But then one day he hears Debbie Harry singing in French and it just makes him feel things. And he doesn't know why, but he just not only wants to listen to her sing in French, but he wants to be Debbie Harry. And and as he's dating this girl, Maria, he they're talking to each other and he just starts talking about um, how he kind of would like to know what it like it feels like to wear a dress and to dress up and could he could he pretend to be Debbie Harry and is it okay to put on nail polish and wear makeup and be a guy and one of the things that this book does is it doesn't automatically make it about your sexuality the way you express yourself it's just this really beautiful thing they didn't it's an older book and they didn't say gender fluid anywhere but that's really what the character is and the fact that his girlfriend is encouraging him and saying wear a dress I think you're beautiful 
and I will applaud you and I'm there for you and I love you and I don't care and you shouldn't care. You're still you and I'm still me and we can love each other. And I just thought that was a great message and it was just so beautiful. And, and I liked that not everything had to be so straight and I mean that almost deliberately, that you don't have to be this way to be a guy and that way to be a girl. And wearing a dress doesn't automatically make you gay because you could be a guy who likes to wear a dress that still likes girls. And that's okay. And it, it doesn't change who you are or who you like. It just is. So that's the last one on the teen list. So if you want to stop listening now, then you're more than welcome to. We're going to move on to the adult titles. So this is going to be a little bit of a longer podcast. My apologies for those of you listening. And I hope you will listen and enjoy. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Stalked by Shadows by Lissa Casey. It's Simply Crafty number one. You have Alexis Kane goes by Alex. He's a soldier just caught out of the military in Afghanistan very much PTSD. He's been told he's completely crazy for the things that he knows he saw. And then you've got Micah, who is a former porn star who also liked to do a lot of cosplay and stuff. And he runs a craft store where he sells a lot of, they're in New Orleans, so he sells like ghost stuff. He does ghost tours, but he also sells like random stuff and he has some adult toys in the back corner but he's really uh, he's he sews and he creates and he's just an interesting person and the two of them end up together because um alex has a identical twin brother who was friends with micah and they run a store together his brother is a cop this has a like a mystery supernatural element to it in that you have like, can they see ghosts? Can they not? Are there unknown beings out to watch us or take us away? We don't know. And then, so there's like an undercurrent in there. But the main story is Alex and Micah. You do have a side character of Skylar who is recently transgendered and really likes Alex's brother and Lucas really likes Sky, but being a cop in New Orleans he's not really sure that that will fly and also the two of them are uh, African American although it isn't really talked about much because they are um, biracial. They tend to just look a little more tan they actually have blonde hair but it's got the texture of African-American hair. And um, so in their hometown, everyone just knew they were black because their father was. But when they're not in their hometown, they just look like some blonde guys with a tan. And so they can pass a little more. And, um, and it's mentioned a few times, but it's not a major part of the story. Micah, being a person in the adult industry... The reason I'm bringing this one up is that there was this really beautiful moment where Alex was like, I recognize you. I loved your amateur movies that you made. I thought you were amazing. But that doesn't give me the right to be with you 
because I saw you on video. I like you. I'd like to get to know you. I just wanted to let you know. And they have these like back and forth quite a bit of me have a, like each of them having agency for themselves. Alex says a lot like, okay, so I'm attracted to you, but that doesn't ob obligate you to be attracted to me. It means that I'm attracted to you. If you're not, then that's fine and we'll move on. And, and he's, you know, just because you were in the sex industry doesn't mean that you're automatically going to sleep with everyone or that you're going to be obliged to do what I tell you to do because of your past. And I just thought that was really beautiful. It's a fun, interesting story. There are some sex scenes, so be aware. But for me, the part of it that struck me that I really liked is that there's still a lot of shame and stigma on someone not following a traditional path in their history or that they should be ashamed of the things that they've done. And Micah's not ashamed that past gave him the money to be able to buy this business and run it for himself. But it's also not something that gives anyone the rights to make assumptions about him. And that Alex acknowledges that even through PTSD and all the other issues that he has, that he's not taking advantage of that. It's just this lovely story that you get to see developed in the midst of all the supernatural craziness that's going on. Another story by Lissa Casey is called Witch Blood. And it's the first of two. There's Witch Blood and Witch Bond. And this one has shapeshifters and it's sort of one of those fated mates thing where you know your animals find their fated significant other that they're supposed to be with forever um sebastian is a kitsune which is like a fox with multiple tails eventually but he's a kitsune and which is more of a fey creature and less of a shape-shifting thing, but that's what he is. But he's not as big and tough and growly as the wolves. And he's grown up with the wolves because his mother abandoned him with them when he was young. He has an abusive ex that he's on the run from, and he's quite sure that his adopted father hates him, and therefore it was okay that he was abused. It wasn't okay, but he thinks that his father thought it was okay because it was his father's actual son that was doing the abusing. When he is almost dying, he runs into Liam, who is an alpha male, and he saves his life. And it turns out that Liam is his fated mate, but it's really difficult for him because he's a werewolf and werewolves are dangerous and he meets him right at the lowest point of his life. And so the first part of the book is him just running away from everything until he runs back into Liam. One of the reasons I bring this up, not because it's a really sweet love story, but I brought it up because Liam was this really cool character. He's supposed to be in this universe. Werewolves live for hundreds and hundreds of years. They're almost immortal, similar to like vampires. And... So he's hundreds and hundreds of years old and he's had multiple relationships, but he's never had his one and only fated mate. And he meets Sebastian and he knows and he 
just doesn't care. It never bothered him or affected him what the gender of his fated mate was. He's been with women, he's been with men. So it's one of the few characters that is truly by where you have a history of that and he's truly it's fine I just fell in love with the person I fell in love with and I've been waiting all my life to meet you and it's just so romantic and cheesy that yeah I know gag I'm sorry but it really struck a moment because it was like why can't more people be like that why can't life be like that where you just fall in love and go I don't I don't care and um, a lot of the tension is between, you know, the roles that you're supposed to play and not any, lots of people are not sure, you know, what's a fox doing in a wolf clan and how can a man be fated to be with a man. And so there's a lot of that stuff brought up. But Liam himself is like, we can make this work and I love you and it's going to be okay. And so that's why I like that book. Uh, Lissa Casey does a lot of really good character studies. She makes the characters kind of live on the page. And so I like her work. Gail Carriger, I've mentioned her books before. She has characters, subplots of LGBTQ characters in the background. And she did a couple of novellas that were really fun. She has some other ones I've talked about before that she wrote as G.L. Carriger. Um, but this one is set in her universe that's the steampunk universe of the soulless and um, that is also the um, finishing school universe for that she wrote for the teens. So Romancing the Werewolf has Biffy, the new alpha of a werewolf clan, but Biffy it grew up and was supposed to be a vampire. And in this universe, the way she set it up, most vampires are very femme. They're mostly very femme boys who are very into fashion and all of those things. And then eventually, if you're lucky, you begin become a vampire. Um, and... Biffy grew up, well not grew up, but that was where he was at and then he was made a werewolf and so he's struggling to accept being a werewolf but now and he's fought his way to being an alpha but he's still kind of gentle and he likes fashion and he's struggling to deal with the realities of his wolf pack and Professor Randolph Lyle is a beta and he had an encounter with Biffy and he's been sort of avoiding dealing with it because he didn't want to affect him. He wanted to let him do what he did. And now they're back together and can, can Randolph work with Biffy and can they be together? It goes really quickly because it's a novella, but it was just really a sweet story. And I loved the idea of this genuinely strong person surrounded by the total macho guys that is the caricature of werewolves kind of the world over and yet he is obsessed with the different things and yet he's still the one in charge and when it comes down to it and he says no this is the way it's going to be that they have to listen and I liked it because so many people equate being gay with being weak 
And so it was kind of beautiful to see this really strong character who also is fashion obsessed and and a little bit femme. But that didn't make him weak. It just made him a little bit of a dandy. Um, Romancing the Inventor deals with one of her other minor characters, which is Genevieve Le Fou. And she is an inventor. She works with... She's sort of stuck working with the vampires for a while, but she's an inventor and she's really brilliant. She wears men's clothes. She tends to masquerade as a man a lot because she doesn't like the strictures and the limitations that women have to deal with in this 1800s time period. And then she meets Imogene, who's a parlor maid for the vampires. And Imogene ends up sort of assigned to working with Genevieve. And they work together and they fall for each other. And there's drama and there's issues. And uh, Genevieve is trying really hard not to unduly influence her parlor maid. Meanwhile, her parlor maid has become a parlor maid with the vampires because she knew she liked girls and that's seen as a bad thing in her tiny little town so this was her chance to get out and live a better life and send money home to her family and live the life that she wants to live without being structured into what a good girl is supposed to be so you see them each struggling to understand who each other are and 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 not I'm not influencing you. I swear I'm not. Well, I don't want to influence you either, but I really like you. So it's it's a, like a little dance and it was sweet and it was romantic and, and I liked it a lot. I have to mention, uh, I've mentioned it before, but I'm going to mention it again. Mercedes Lackey with um, the Magic's Pawn book, which is the Vaniel Herald Mage series. Because... For a lot of people, she wrote this a while ago, this was the first time that we saw a, an out gay person in a couple where the couple didn't die and there were no major repercussions. You got to see a gay couple in a major fantasy adventure and they were happy and it was okay. And Vaniel is such a strong character. You see him struggle. He's a little whiny. But he's a teenager in the beginning of it, so he's grown up in a world where he's told he has to behave a certain way and be a certain way, and he doesn't want to be that way. So he has to figure out life and himself. But as he gets more comfortable with himself and, and he starts to get better at things, you see him learn to adapt and become this really strong character who is a major force in the world in a lot of ways you don't even see it unless you read the entire series farther on because there are repercussions and differences that that happen based on Vaniel and his life and the way he's chosen to live it but I just loved that it made it so normal and it was okay and there were so many pushbacks against her putting a main character of being gay in the book and for even me, you know, in, in high school reading this book, I was like, wow, that's so cool. You can be gay and, and still be you. And uh, I, I think that it needs to be mentioned because it didn't happen enough. And thankfully you see it more now, but it, it's just, it's nice. Um, 
Rebecca Weatherspoon, I mentioned in my romance part of the podcast, but she wrote a book called Treasure. You have uh, Treasure is the stage name for Trisha. She is an exotic dancer. She meets Alexis, a girl this time, who um, they're both going to community college. Um, Alexis, because she had a sort of a breakdown and she's struggling um, mentally. And Trisha, because she's, you know, paying her way through college and wanting to do something better with her life. And again, the sex industry is dealt with badly by a lot of people. They tend to push it into a negative direction. But Rebecca makes it just a regular thing. One of their dates is Alexis coming um, to the laundromat with Trisha as they are doing her laundry because her apartment doesn't have a, a laundry included in it. And they just hanging out at the laundromat, doing homework and occasionally kissing. And it's just, it's Alex has never had a real girlfriend and Trisha hasn't really had a lot of experience either, but they are finding each other and they're finding um, what works and, and fighting against stigma and and there's a little bit of classism in there as well because Alex comes from a well-to-do family and Trisha is fighting for every penny and and helping out her family because they don't have any extras and so Rebecca did a really great job in building this world with the different class structures Um, they're both people of color Rebecca herself is a woman of color and so it brings in this queer culture that isn't all white, which is always nice. And and it's just a really sweet tale. And Rebecca does a really great job on a romance story. And unfortunately, you don't see as many uh, really well done female-female love stories. There's a lot more male-male. It's a little harder to find. I know they're out there. I'm actively looking, but it's a little harder to find for some reason. Um, a recent recommendation that I fell in love with and I just it struck a chord with me was uh, an author named Alexis Hall it's a male this time um, the author Gail Carriger I follow her on Instagram she's doing um, 30 days of pride so every day she posts something on Instagram of a book in a character study of some kind And so she mentioned this book called For Real. It's the Spires series. This one's the third one, but each of them are individual different. They're called the Spires because they interact or go to either Cambridge or Oxford at some point. They're all very British. Um, And, but this one, I've, I've read three of the four of them. This one is definitely my favorite. And I kind of fell in love with Alexis Hall just reading this book because he just writes some major characters. There is um, graphic descriptions of BDSM and male sexuality. So if that bothers you, don't read it. But it's not really about being um, dominant or submissive or any of the I like pain and you like giving me pain. It's there because that's part of who they are, but it's not the point of the story. The point of the story is Laurie, who is Lawrence, and he's a doctor, and he 
um, is he likes what he likes, but he's lonely and his longtime relationship broke up. They were together for 12 years. They've been broken up for like five or six and he's still lonely and lost and heartbroken and he's starting to, he's played the field within this small community of everyone else who also does BDSM, but it's feeling like just a play. He doesn't, he's not getting any of his emotional needs met and he's really, he, no one says it, but he's depressed and he's depressing because he's just so, so caught up in the uselessness of it like it's all a game and a sham and he just wants something real which is why the title for real so one day he's at a, a club with his friends and and bemoaning the fact that it's just all so useless and pointless and this kid sneaks in and his name is Toby Toby's 19 he's not a member of this club but he sneaks in and he is a gangly, not too tall kid with, you know, from the from the wrong side of town, and and he's not posh, and he's not obviously anything, and everyone assumes because he's kind of skinny and small and and young that he must be a submissive, and he's not. He's dominant and. He has a conversation because Lori goes over to talk to him. He's like, you shouldn't be here. It's not safe. You don't you don't know what you want. And he's like, why does everyone say that? And Toby has this really mo long monologue that really was beautiful in that he says, it's like you can't be who you're meant, who you are until you're 40. But what do I do in the meanwhile? If I know what I like and I know who I am and I know what I want, my life to look like as far as what the kind of sex that I like why is that not okay why do I have to wait till I'm 40 to find the kind of sex that I want and for people to respect my choices why is it not okay and Laurie looks at him in his earnestness and just kind of starts to fall for him and he sees this earnestness and this emotion and it touches him. So for the rest of the story, you have this relationship building among this 37-year-old doctor who's Oxford educated and this kid who works in a cafe. He calls it a calf because it's very British. And he working for $5 an hour who's 19 and he's the, you know... But you've got this older gentleman who's kneeling and doing what he is asked to do from this 19-year-old. But honestly, the story is mostly about this older gentleman opening himself up to the possibility of falling in love and not worrying about what other people think and not worrying about his own ideas of what things should be, but what they are. And it's about Toby being a, a kid in some ways, but still knowing who he is and what he doesn't want to do. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know anything yet. But that doesn't make him a bad person. And there's this one line that was just, oh, now I'm getting teary. Because Toby says, well, I'm just a loser because I'm not, I don't have all these degrees and I'm not at university and I don't know what I want. 
And Laurie says, you're not a loser. You're just lost. And we can figure it out together. And it was just beautiful. <laughs> and now I'm crying. And I think that when you have those characters and you have this really strong-willed 19-year-old, it doesn't feel creepy because you. I've read some of those May-December books where they're like really creepy and you're like, oh dear lord. This one wasn't creepy because the 19-year-old was mature in some ways but not in others and the 37-year-old is mature in some ways but not in others. And they're both on a journey and they're both trying to figure everything out. And some knows a little more about this and some knows a little bit more about that. But they're on the journey together and they're no one's taking advantage of anyone. No one is hurting anyone in a way that isn't being asked for. And it's it was just a really beautiful story and a great character study. And so emotional. And I just, I loved it. I listened to it. I bought the Audible. I bought the book. I bought the whole series based on that one book. And I don't regret it at all. Even if the other ones, the other characters in his other books so far are good. But this one is just sort of top of the pile for me. So I'm going to take a breath and move on. Because, wow, that one made me cry. Um... Haley Turner with her Soulbound series. I know I've mentioned before with, I think it was in the cops and, and robbers and things. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that series, but just focus on a different title. This one's called All Souls Near and Nigh. I, f I love this series. I've There's only four in it so far, and I'm hoping the fifth one will be coming out at the end of the year. But I love the reason it's affected me and it's important is you've got this um, really damaged but really strong official cop kind of character with a just not as well established guy. He's a bartender. He's from England. and but But really what he wants is a family and he wants his pack. He's a werewolf. So you have the two of them on the journey to becoming their own family and building their own tribe. And this book is really the first book you see them meet and interact and sort of begin their journey. This one is sort of setting the pattern for the journey and it's dealing with um, an uh, Aztec, the Aztec Parthenon, you've got Quetzalcoatl and another dude that I can't remember the name of and I can't pronounce his name, but um, you've got the, the Aztec Pantheon, you've got um, vampires fighting for control, and the they are trying to figure out and manipulate and work with what they have, but they're still, you know, fighting the good fight against the bad gods and all of that. And there is this scene in All Souls Near and Nigh where um, the police officer um, special agent is, he's sacrifices himself 
so that he can free this um, group of vampires and others are torturing and having pay for fights kind of things where they capture shapeshifters and they make them fight to the death and he sacrifices himself Patrick is like I'll give myself over if you let that one go free because I need the evidence but also I need that one person saved and so Jonathan his significant other has already saved another one who is a dragon and he's an awesome character but they so they have this young man that they've rescued who's traumatized and now there's another one that they can possibly rescue but only if Pat sacrifices himself and there it's a hard scene to read because or listen to because it's actually as an assault they have taken him they made him take drugs that affect his um capacities to understand or comprehend and they are definitely planning to rape him and kill him and he manages to get away through the intervention of yet another god but there's a beautiful moment when Jono finds him because some um, Hermes takes him to where he's been and the soul bond is helping him find him and he finds him and he knows because of the way that he's looking when he finds him that he's been assaulted but he doesn't really know what happened and he knows he has to help him get through this night because these drugs are affecting his magic and, and it's it's a bad thing but it's just this beautiful moment of I'm here for you and we'll get through this and I'm going to be careful with you but I don't blame you that a lot of people of that have been assaulted don't get they get accused and they get a lot of recriminations or worries or jealousy and and I really so for me this relationship in this series is one of the reasons that I put it on this list because I love this building and learning and they make mistakes but they talk about them and they work through and they're building their own tribe and they're building their own family out of the misfits of the world and I want to be part of that <laughs> I want to jump into this book and be part of their family but also because of in this particular book you see um, an assault happen you see the effect it has you you actually see the the effect in several books where he has like just moments of oh wait no that person's standing behind me it, it's okay it's it's not it's not that again but it was just dealt with so beautifully and and also um, carefully so that you get a sense of this is the way it should be it's not always handled that way but it should be so that's why I'm recommending that one. So the Soulbound series, All Souls Near and Nigh. Unfortunately, you have to get it on Amazon with Kindle. You can download the app, but you cannot get this unless you buy it on Amazon. Um, I tried to find it, but you can't find it through a vendor, so most libraries won't have it unless they have an Amazon account. And um, the only way to get the audio is through the Amazon Kindle Audible account. So be aware it's there, but it's not going to be something most libraries will be able to get. Um, we are almost done. I know this is running long, and thank you for staying with me if you did. 
the next book is called How to Shield an Assassin. It's by A.J. Sherwood. It, and I liked... The reason this is on the list is that it deals with... It, for a few different reasons. Um, Ari is an assassin. And the beginning of this book really... I, I don't know why somebody didn't pick this up and turn it into a TV series, honestly. It's... He's on a job somewhere and he's completed the job and he hears somebody following him and he doesn't understand, but he's like, I'm going to be careful. And then he realizes by the way it sounds and the way they're following him that it's a kid. And he's like, who sets a kid to follow an assassin? That's terrible. So he calls them out and then out comes this little tiny eight-year-old girl. And she's obviously been used as a punching bag way too many times. And she comes up to him, and I'm probably going to get emotional again, but she comes up to him and she says, Hi, I saw you beat up that drug dealer back there. Because earlier, in a like quick aside, there was a... He saw a drug dealer beating up on a young kid, and he beat him up himself and gave all of his drug money to the young prostitute and said, Run, go make yourself a better life. Get out of this. And so this little girl saw that and she says, so you hurt people for money? And he says, yes, yes, I do. She says, can you make my daddy stop? Ugh, it just kills me every time. She says, "Her, my stepfather, he's, he's just not nice. And Ari is immediately furious. He's a product of the of the foster care system himself. He's lived through some very not good moments and he's like, yes, yes, I will do that. And she pays him whatever. She has like $2 and quarters and she pays him. And he says, you have hired yourself an assassin. And he goes to her house and he meets her dad and he's hoping maybe he won't be as bad, but he's looking at the evidence. She's not looking very good. And the first thing that the stepfather says is, because um, he says, I'm here about your daughter. And he says, why? You want to buy her? You give me like $500. She's yours. Whatever you want to do with her. And that's it. He's like done. And he shoots him. Because he's like, no one's going to miss you anyway. And you're not selling her. So he picks a new name and a new identity for himself. And for her, she helps him pick out a new name. Her new name is um, Remy. And he basically adopts her and he says, we're going to be a family because I can't put you into foster care or trust that the system will be okay because he's a product of the foster care system gone awry. He has a brother who is a twin who has had better experiences in the foster care system. His brother's a lawyer and he's all, he doesn't understand why Ari would be an assassin for pay, but they love each other. They're just distant because they didn't grow up together due to foster care. Um, but Remy is determined and it's kind of sweet and a little funny. She wants to be an assassin and a, and a, and a, like Black Widow. That's really what she wants. She wants to be the badass girl that no one can hurt because she's been hurt too much. So the beginning of the novel is the two of them learning to be a family and then they go on a mission to steal something 
and um, Ari brings Remy along because he doesn't have he's he's in he's included his circle of friends in this sort of family that's not a family. I have a soft spot for tribes of misfits. So and but they're all collectively helping to raise Remy. And so there is no one else to babysit her. And they're training her on all the arts of being a thief and an assassin and a hacker and, and all of those things. So why not? She can come along and, and observe them in action. And one of the people they meet is a mercenary and his name is Carter. And Carter and Ari like each other. And so the rest of the book is like sort of this... Uh, the 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 getting to the 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 stealing and the heist and that sort of thing but it's also this romance of Ari and Carter and Ari is just so closed off and so nervous about ever letting anyone in his personal space because of what he does and because of his life experience it's dangerous to let people near you and to let and to trust people so the reason I selected this is a it was this this great um, another, you don't have to be super effeminate because he is very not. He's like this super uber masculine dude who kills people for a living, but he likes guys and, um, but he's never really had the ability to be intimate with anybody in a, an emotional sense because he doesn't trust people. But being a new father is teaching him things about being emotionally available and now he's met Carter, who likes him, and want, and the two of them are learning to care for each other in the midst of all this heist and 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 being a new father and all of that. So it's the it's a it's I liked it. I liked the incongruity of the characters and the way they they are versus the way people think they should be. There's some funny moments, but it's not a funny book necessarily it was just super touching um speaking of non-traditional characters which is again something that I really liked I have the last book on the list for today which isn't okay I'll just go it's Reese Ford and the book is Rebel the series is 415 Inc um the 415 Inc is a tattoo parlor and so you have these two it's a it's basically a traditional love story but with two guys it's not over the top like the best book I've ever read but the reason I selected it and picked it and the reason I enjoyed reading it even though it's kind of short it's like 200 pages so you couldn't get as much depth into the characters and the story building as I think she could have done if she had had the ability to do like a 400 page book instead but then again maybe it would have run too long and you would have gotten bored so I'm not going to tell her how to write her books I'm just gonna say I liked it for what it was which was a really f interesting romance with some damaged characters and also the fact that they all work at this tattoo parlor the 415 Inc and you've got this series of brothers who have formed some of them are actually related some of them met through very messed up situations in the foster care system but now they are all adults they've formed their own family they own this business collectively and Gus who is August, Augustus August I think it's August but he just goes by Gus 
is called home. He's been running away because he and Ray loved each other as teenagers, but they broke up because they wanted different things. And But it broke his heart and he never got over it. And he had a night of passion with someone who was being very nice to him. And it turns out that now he has a baby that he didn't know about. And he's coming home because he wants to be able to be a father to this child. But it's also about reforming and and relearning all of the things in his life. He's had a very, very rough life. And he and Ray did a lot of things badly and reacted badly to each other because they weren't listening to each other. So the reason I like it is, A, the you've got these non-traditional characters of, uh, like, Gus's baby brother, actual biological baby brother, is another tattoo artist, but he wears heels and he likes skirts. And so he's, but he's a tattoo guy. He doesn't identify as female. He just likes to wear skirts and heels and and flirt and draw up amazing tattoos and no one in the tattoo parlor because they're all family says anything that's just you just be you it's fine and Gus is working through his own issues on how to trust and how to let go of the past and look towards the future uh, as he's got his own child who uh, he's trying to figure out how to deal with and they touch on therapy they touch on some of the abuses of the foster care system but it's at the end of the day it's just like this emotional journey for both of them and and it was sweet and I and I liked that it had some non-traditional characters because people don't tend to think of you know rough and tumble tattoo guys as being gay but you know it's not exclusive you can have tattoos and be gay um but also because there's um, this perception from the foster care system that this gay guy with tattoos and a bad past from his own time in the foster care system won't be a good father for this baby. Um, and the mother who wants to include him in the baby's life and is really being supportive and fighting with him against the system to give him that opportunity. And so I really liked that like sweet moment in there. And so that's all of the fiction books for today. I also just want to encourage you to check out like nonfiction books and biographies, especially I think for me when I'm looking for people to emulate or learn more about biographies are amazing. And you can always, you know, wander around your library now that they're starting to be reopened or check out on ebooks from the library some great biographies or nonfiction if you want to learn a little bit more about LGBTQ history and Stonewall and, and all sorts of things that you don't necessarily learn in school but that are really important to know. That is the end of everything. Thank you for sitting with me for this very long amount of time. And I am not doing a podcast next week. So have a happy 4th of July and enjoy your week. And just just love each other. Read a good book. Hang out. And give someone a hug and tell them you love them. Thanks for listening. <laughs>